Welcome to Way Too Seriously, the podcast where we watch kids' movies and then take them way too seriously. I'm Paul Moffat. I'm Jan Moffat. And this week we watched and we'll be talking about Kubo and the Two Strings. Jan, do you want to tell us a little bit about this movie? Kubo and the Two Strings is a 2016 movie made by the production company Leica, who also made Paranorman, we talked about previously on the show. It's a stop-motion animation, 3D stop-motion animation, uh, directed and written by Travis Knight, starring Charlize Theron, uh, Rafe Fiennes, Rooney Mara, Matthew McConaughey, and Art Parkinson, who is also known as uh, Rickon from Game of Thrones. (laughs) And tell us a little bit about the plot, Paul. Kubo and the Two Strings is the story of Kubo, a young boy who's been living in a cave with his mother. He learns that he is the grandson of the Moon King, who stole his one eye in an attempt to make him blind so that he can live with the Moon King in the heavens and not care about humans anymore. Kubo accidentally reveals himself to the Moon King, who sends his two daughters to attack, and Kubo goes off on a quest to find the three pieces of armor that will protect him from the Moon King. On this quest, he has the help of a talking monkey, who turns out secretly to be his mother, and an anthropomorphized beetle samurai, who turns out secretly to be his father, and a origami samurai. Kubo also has a three-string, a Japanese three-stringed guitar called a shamisen. With the shamisen, he can play music that makes magic happen, especially origami that comes to life, like the samurai itself. Eventually, Kubo has battle with the Moon King, defeats him, sort of, teaches him to love and care about humans, sort of. So how good is this movie? Well, let's start where we should start with the any Leica movie with the, the animation, mm-hmm. which is... Uh, Beautiful. Beautiful. Gorgeous. Um, it's claymation. It's also the paper folding is real paper. Is it? I assume. It certainly looks like it. Yeah. It reminds me of like a cross between Coraline and Paranorman and uh, the little prince, the paper parts. Yeah. And does I think does it even better than both of those. Like it's just beautiful uh, stop motion and I don't know how they do like there must be some computer animation as well because there's like water and stuff that isn't there's a lot of water yeah but anyway it's it's beautiful it's well done Leica is an amazing company for that this is their most recent one as of this recording and I think I totally agree in terms of highlights the animation is fantastic and I think this is the most beautifully animated movie that Leica has put out which is saying something. Mm-hmm. Like, everything they do looks great. This looks best of anything. And I think that's, as with what we talked about in Paranorman, like, there's the quality of the animation, the quality of the figures, but there's also something that Leica does of, like, shot composition that I notice the shot composition in Leica movies more than I do in most animated movies. Yep. And in this one, it's so good, mm-hmm. again. Yeah. And Paranorman was deliberately... Uh, referencing like 70s horror movies mm-hmm. and this is referencing like, samurai, samurai movies, movies yeah. and so there's these landscape shots uh they're beautiful mm-hmm. absolutely 
Um, the voice, the voices were really good. I liked uh, Charlie Theron as the monkey. Was uh, she like just hit the comedy and the pathos together? And there's like when she he, when he when she first comes to life and she's a monkey. She like cracks these couple of jokes of like, or not, I don't know, they're not even quite jokes, but like. Once we're inside, you might be tempted to complain about the odor. Keep in mind, my sense of smell is 10 times stronger than yours. <clears throat> yeah. Like, you have three questions, and like, she, he quickly squanders them on. Like, there's just, like, a surprise for, like, a fairly serious movie. There's a lot of surprisingly, like, funny moments. And I think that her delivery on those lines really helps. Very deadpan. Speaking mm-hmm. of comic deliveries, Matthew McConaughey oh, also. Yes, he's so good. Very funny in his performance. <laughs> yep. You got my attention. I promise I won't even blink. I actually don't think I even can blink. Do I have eyelids? Yeah. Yeah, I would say that that's also really good. Any lowlights? I think the lowlights will come in the too seriously portion. I think um, the ending was a little bit rushed, and yeah. I'm not really sure. Ex- I'm still not exactly sure what happened in the end. Like he he turns his grandfather um, into a human who lo- who has no memory, and then he goes off and. He somehow is no longer the Moon King. It's important part of the plot that Kubo has only one eye mm-hmm. because his grandfather stole one of his eyes so that he wouldn't be able to look into the soul of another human and recognize that humans are good. Yep. Uh, the Moon King has no eyes or has blind in both eyes, mm-hmm. has eyes, but is blind in both eyes. And somehow using his shamisen. And music and the two strings of the title, which mm-hmm. are his parents' uh, hair mm-hmm. and his hair. Yeah. His mother's hair and his hair. Mm-hmm. He plays it and gives the Moon King an eye. So the Moon King has one eye and then becomes human. And that is not clear. Yeah. Very how exactly clear. that works. I think all the way through how the magic works is a little bit... You know, quick look over there. Mm-hmm. And that makes it always as a weakness in a fantasy movie if the rules of the magic are not clearly defined. Because, yeah. And it tends to appear in the climax because suddenly some rule you didn't understand gets invoked to solve the day. Yeah, exactly. I can think of ten examples of that, and this is one of them. Yeah. I agree with you. And I wondered, when I was watching it for the first time, I wondered whether, like, it's... It's very Japanese, and I wondered if it was based on, like, a Japanese folktale somehow. But no, it, from what I researched, it doesn't seem to be based on anything specifically. No. I mean, the festival is one, is a Japanese festival, and the Moon King is, like, R- a figure. Is Raiden. Raiden, yeah. Is Raiden, a figure in Japanese who is mythology. best known to uh, stupid Westerners like me as one of the characters in Mortal Kombat. <laughs> is he the one who rips out people's spines no he's the one who shoots lightning ah okay <laughs> well there you go so but yeah it's not based on anything so then it, that makes it a little even a little bit weaker mm-hmm. um i still should mention like the origami folding is just 
amazing. And like the little stories that he tells and the way that the origami paper comes to life is so cool and so interesting. And like that, you know, look over there kind of thing about the magic. But like, I'm really looking at it. I really like the distraction of that yeah. beauty of that really cool uh, animation, really cool storytelling that he has. And while on one hand, how that works is never clear, how his magic works, how his shamism works is never clear at all. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all visual spectacle, but it's a great visual spectacle and musical spectacle. Like he yeah. plays it and it's beautiful musically yeah. and visually and entertaining and fun, both yeah. visually and musically. So I feel like you're already getting into this, but how much did you like this movie personally? <sighs> it's hard not to get to the way too seriously <laughs> already because I liked it a lot. Yeah. I liked it a lot. I agree. It's so beautiful to watch and the, and the and funny and fun it and enjoy a it a lot. Yeah. So should we get into it? Into let's, the let's that be our entire. How did you enjoy it and get oh, right. the way too seriously? Let's get into the let's get into the way, way too seriously. I I don't think I've ever been as mad at the too seriously for any movie as I am for this one because this movie should have been amazing. Yep. It should have been so good. Yep. But here's the way too seriously of it. This is a Japanese story with almost no Japanese people involved. Yep. The voice actors, George Takei is a random villager who has about two lines. Mm -hmm. And then there's another random villager when I looked through the list. Yeah, there's a few kind of... There's a few of the, Very, like, very deep background characters. But all the leads are white. Mm-hmm. The writer is white. Mm-hmm. The director is white. Mm-hmm. Even the people playing the uh, Shamazen, one of them is white. Ugh. And, like, it's... It, oh, it's infuriating. It is so infuriating because it's such a fun, interesting movie, such a like visually beautiful, and then like, what are you guys doing? This is serious cultural appropriation. Yeah. Seriously. It, it as I said, I mean I'm repeating myself, but it should this should have been the best movie that Leica has made, and it's very, very tarred by the cultural appropriation and the mm-hmm. insensitivity and blindness to the issues. And although we said, like, Charlize Theron and Matthew McConaughey both do a great job, there are Asian actors who could also have done a great job. Mm-hmm. They and sure could have. We have talked about this in previous episodes, but I think it's worth saying it again, in case you aren't uh, listening to our entire podcast history one by one and making notes. <laughs> which you okay. should be. But why is that, like, what are we talking about? Why is that a big deal? Yeah. Why is that a big deal? Do you want to... I mean, it's it's several reasons why it's a big deal, but it's the fact that this isn't based on any kind of Japanese folktale is taking, you know, here's my story, oh, and I'll add some extra flavor to it by making it a different country. I'll take add some extra, you know... S- some extra intrigue and make it like exotic yeah. by staging it in a country that is not my own by staging it in a con- country that has a history of being exoticized. And so their magical Japan, the magical Orient where yeah. mystical, magical Orientals have mystical, magical powers yes. and the magic doesn't need to be explained because it's Oriental magic. Yeah. And that, 
makes them seem like they're not real humans. That makes them get treated like they're not real humans, which is a real danger, especially for a place like Japan, which, hello, was bombed. With yeah. a was the only place in the world to have been bombed with a nuclear bomb, and that is because people could think of them as not human. I know that's a little bit of a stretch, but hey, I'm taking this way too seriously. In the mythical, magical land of Japan. <sighs> yeah. Right? This is, this is where this, this is movie yeah. is set. It's yeah, set exactly. in mythical, like it could be set just as easily in fairyland. Yep. Exactly. But it's set in Japan because to the filmmakers, Japan is fairyland. Mm-hmm. But it's Carry not. On. It's a real place. Now we, we have, have I mean, the other thing is, of course, the actors is you're setting a story in Japan. You're making it Japanese. Have Japanese actors. Have people who come from that area. Give them an opportunity because Charlie's Theron and Matthew McConaughey are not knocking down the doors trying to trying desperately for their place in Hollywood but many Asian actors Japanese actors are because there's so few roles for them and then you take the only roles that they could do where they're actually not the only roles obviously but like the roles that like they're you know oh I'm already Japanese great oh nope you can't have that role either you can have no role at all yeah I think I'm don't want to what do you want to say? Restate what you said, but I think to for clarity, um, there's no good reason why you couldn't have a Japanese actor in, you know, Dallas Buyers Club as the guy, mm-hmm. except that Hollywood hates to do that. The generic person is white. Yeah. There's no reason why uh, Furiosa couldn't have been an actress of color. Mm-hmm. But she isn't because the generic person is white. Yeah. Right? And that's why, I like, I know you know this and have said it in previous episodes, but I just yeah. want to make clear that, like, when you say a role that is specifically for me, because there's no good reason that you couldn't give the actor, the generic character to an actor of color, but you don't. Yeah, they sure don't. <laughs> so that yeah. is why it is even more disheartening when here's a role that is specifically a Japanese character, yep. at least give that to Japanese actors. If you won't give them, especially like voice actors, there's no reason that you couldn't have had, that you couldn't make. Anyway. Yep. I'm repeating myself because I'm. Yeah, it's irritating. And it's like, it's also. Um... We've not used the phrase yet, whitewashing, that everything in the, there's a lot of history of whitewashing history and making everyone white. And it's, this is just another case of it. And it's so disappointing. I'm just so disappointed, you guys. It's so frustrating that the that the seriousness of this movie just overshadows and is this. Yeah. I'm, again, to repeat myself one more time. <laughs> just keep doing it. I'm just so... I've never been as mad at the serious yeah. aspects because to say it again, this movie should have been like so good. Yeah. The elements are all there. Like it's visual. There's a visual skill that this director has mm-hmm. to put something on the screen that looks amazing. Clearly the writer can tell a story. Like yeah. I'm compelled by the story. Just like don't set it in Japan. Yep. Or 
cast Asian actors or both. Yep. Set it in Fairyland and cast Asian actors. Yeah, exactly, like, exactly. If you want to set it in Fairyland and have it have some kind of Japanese-inspired uh, visuals, that would be okay. Yep. Then cast Asian actors, and then people would be saying how great your movie is. Yep, exactly. I mean, like, cast right, a, can... get, get an Asian director, too. This director yeah. was, was Very good, good, though. Yeah. Yeah, but... I, I want him to be able to make a movie. Just not this one! Yes, exactly. Okay, so moving on. If we move yeah. on a little bit from this, that's the major thing. That is the major thing. There's a, a few thing. other things that we want to take too seriously about this. Mm -hmm. I feel like the gender roles are very, very strong in this. So strong and prescribed that there's the monkey, who is the mother, and she is very stereotypical motherly. She's... She's slicking his hair back with her spit. She's doing, and she's uh, protective. And then we have the beetle who turns out to be his father. And like they have an argument even about it, about mm -hmm. like... I may not know everything. Anything. Anything. But I do know Kubo is more capable than you think he is. You're being a tiny bit overprotective here. I'm being a lot overprotective here. It's my job to make sure Kubo is safe. And that is not safe. You, you are not safe. Kubo is just a child. And an incredibly gifted one. He just saved our lives. Yes, he's very powerful, but he still has much to learn. So it's just very, very cookie cutter stereotypes thing. yeah and the specifically that argument throughout throughout the movie she's the overprotective mother and even the word overprotective gets thrown at her she's the overprotective mother and he's the fun uh buddy father yeah, figure exactly even before you know that she's hers she's his mother and he's his father mm -hmm. they're already like the male character is the lovable doof and the female character is the strict disciplinarian. The killjoy. The killjoy. And that's like tiresome. Mm -hmm. But then when they have the argument about how to parent their child, yeah, it, it gets very much worse. Text. So yep. worse. Yeah. I mean, and if you didn't know he was the father, you, you're mean, a little slow. You're a little yeah. slow. It's pretty obvious from the get go that it's the mother and father. It is. But I mean, like it's a children's movie. Yes. I mean, though we, this is one we watch without our kids. We, it's a little bit on the scary side. It's a little bit on the older end. Yeah, and I don't know if that's something to talk about in terms of either a way too seriously or a complaint of it. I don't think it no. is. It's just not aimed at as young it's as not, our kids. Yeah, it's not a complaint. I think Leica makes older kid movies, and I like that. I like a animated movie for like a 10 to 14-year-old yeah. kind of thing. I think that's, yeah, that's a... That's a good thing. Yeah, I agree. Um, there is the sisters who speak in unison, played by Rooney Mara, are a really, I think they're a really compelling character in terms of uh, um, that, they're, that they're female. Mm -hmm. And I felt like they weren't, your stereo weren't a stereotype that much. Especially I appreciated because um, the backstory that we get is that there were three sisters. They were three. Mm -hmm. Right. And the mother was one of them and they were, we can imagine maybe there was one. And then the two younger ones is how they functioned. We don't see it directly, 
but we all can also kind of see as they function as two, once they functioned as three, and one of them made a different choice. And I like that, as we always say, you get better representation when you include more characters. And so you have two sisters, one of them, or you have three sisters, one of them falls in love with a mortal because he has kind eyes and goes off to become nothing but a mother who is eventually shoved in a fridge until she comes back as a monkey, you know, that old cliche. (laughs) Um... But it's okay. I, it doesn't bother me nearly as much that she gives up her uh, life because she looks in a man's eyes because she has two sisters who don't. Yeah. Because we see women or female car- female goddesses. I don't know what exactly no, they are. But we see female characters who behave differently from each other and make different choices from each other. And hey, yeah. look, isn't that great? Yeah, that was, yeah, I appreciated that a lot. I also like, just in terms of, not a way too seriously, just in terms of a production thing, the two sisters played by the same actress, so good, so much better. I liked it a lot, that the the creepiness mm-hmm. of their twins, they look the same, and then they have the same voice. Yeah. And he, she just recorded it twice, and so they're doubled. I would have been like, eh. If they had had different voices, I would have been like, "Why? Why are they different?" Yeah, I don't know. They were, I think, oh, it was. Very, I think aesthetically, it they was were a good choice. very creepy in a good way. Yeah, I liked them a lot. What else did you notice about this in, the two, in terms of too seriously? I mean, I thought that there's a bit of heteronormativity in that she falls in love with a man to go live her nuclear family life, mm-hmm. and that's the better life to live. How do you love? How do you connect to humanity by creating a nuclear family with 1.4 children. That's a mild complaint for me, but it's something to notice. Yeah. Um, what about the portrayal of, um, at the very beginning, the portrayal of kind of mental illness of the mother, that she, I mean, it turns out to be kind of mystical that she comes alive in the nighttime mm-hmm. more, but she is basically catatonic during the day. Yeah. And so Kubo has to go off and find his own way while she's catatonic. And then he comes back and she comes alive for a few moments at a time. And then suddenly she's confused again. She doesn't know where she is. And she doesn't know what story she's telling. I'm not sure what I think of that. I thought in story terms, I liked it. Mm-hmm. In serious terms, I'm unsure. I think I kind of liked it because I felt like it showed the relationship of a parent who has a mental illness with a child and with with whom a parent whose mental illness is not being properly treated mm-hmm. with children who have to take care of their own parent, who have to be the parent to their parent. Mm-hmm. And that is something that happens and something that uh, is sad. And you're sad, you're kind of, you're, you're, your heart is broken as you're watching this. And it's also, I don't know. I think that it was, there was a grain of truth in it. Yeah, I can see that. Um, there was, I mean, also in terms of representations of disability, Kubo has one eye. Mm-hmm. They never try and fix that. No. I think maybe I like that. 
Mm-hmm. He he goes to shoot uh, the bow and arrow, and he's like, close one eye. Oh, that's no problem for you. And then he's really good because of his disability, because he's missing an eye. He's actually better at shooting the bow and arrow than he could have been. And it's I like to, they don't draw attention textually to it, but in terms of the images they do, that his hair covers his eye, mm-hmm. and his mother uh, slicks it back, and he lets it fall back in front of his eye. I would not have liked it if they had made a big textual deal out of it. Yeah. Everyone notices that he's missing an eye, but he's still, yeah. you know. Uh, I don't know that he would. he is self-conscious about it, but he... It's a part of who he is and how he styles himself and how he carries himself. Yeah. And then there may be some, uh, there may be some conversation to be had about the grandfather wants to take his eye because if you can't see, then you can really see. Um, there's a trope of uh, disability as magic. Mm, especially blindness. and Especially yeah. blindness. But I feel like the movie actually sidesteps that in, maybe not sidesteps, I feel like the movie actually deals with that fairly well because the Moon King thinks that blindness gives him the ability to see, but in fact, uh, blindness makes him blind in one eye. Like, Kubo himself is very matter-of-fact about what it means to have one eye. Mm, yeah. Like, he sees out of one eye, it helps him aim and bow and arrow because he doesn't have to close his eyes his eye he you know sight for kubo is not a metaphor for something yep. grandfather wants sight to be a metaphor for insight and knowledge and for kubo sight is a sense literal. a literal sense and i like that he they regrounded in the literal mm-hmm. though maybe they ending where he gives the grandfather an eye and that makes him human disconnects it from the literal again. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm a little ambivalent about how mm-hmm. exactly blindness is working in this movie. Because I think basically, I don't think that the movie uh, lets blindness be wholly metaphorical yep. in the way that I think I would not like it if they did. Yeah, I agree. We could talk about some of the, like, not problematics, but the themes, like storytelling. This is a movie Mm -hmm. about storytelling. Yeah. I like movies about, I like stories about stories. I like stories about stories. It was, I definitely really liked the way he told the stories and he had the, I said it before, like the paper folding was really fun and really, and it was all about the stories that people tell themselves and the stories that we tell each other and the. And it was interesting, specifically, I liked the way that, uh. Kubo is a multimedia storyteller. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. He tells stories, but he also he uses words and music and images to tell stories. So he is a, you know, he makes plays, but he makes the metaphor for movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason that there's so many stories about storytellers is because they're stories made by storytellers. By <laughs> the writers of stories like to tell stories about how storytelling is the most important thing. But also... It kind of is. <laughs> yeah. No, I think so. <laughs> um, so I like a story about storytelling, and I like the, the way that they handled storytelling throughout. And I liked, especially in the end, if we want to talk about how stories shape reality and how stories are magic, mm-hmm. um, I liked in the end the way that, that the Moon King 
forgets who he is. So all the villagers are like, oh, we'll tell you who you are. And they tell yeah. him stories about how kind he is. Mm-hmm. Can you help me? I'll tell him. No, we'll all tell him. We'll tell him everything he needs to know. You are the kindest, sweetest man to ever live in this village. Oh, oh really? Yes. Uh, uh, every day you walk around smiling and handing out coins to children. Like me. And old women. Oh. You, you taught my kids to swim. What? And... You give blankets to the poor. You're a good man. You fed the hungry. You always lend a helping hand. You're a great example. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Oh. It turns out pretty selfless. That's why we love you. You know. And that's what I that liked that make moment. Him kind is the kind stories. And I thought that, that, that was interesting. The story that they tell about him is what shapes him. What makes him kind isn't telling him, you know, once there was someone who was kind... It's not telling him kindness is good to be. Mm-hmm. It's telling him you are a very kind man. Yeah. And he that he absorbs that into his identity. I liked yeah. that use of storytelling. Yeah, absolutely. There's a bit of a uh the trope of you may have the magic to control the stars and shapeshift into a giant bug of some kind, but we have a stronger magic. Memory is like that is a trope that is always a little bit disappointing. Yeah. Of like, actually, mundane life is way more magic than magic. And I say, you're only saying that because you don't think that there really is magic. Yeah. If there really was real magic, you, movie, would no longer believe that remembering your dead family is as good <laughs> as conjuring them up. You know, like, yeah, it just isn't. I'm sorry. You try to tell me that my whole <laughs> life. You try to tell me that the mundane is more magical than magic, but nah. <laughs> <laughs> really? Love and memory and uh, family Love are wonderful. Love is the most powerful thing of all. That is always the thing. That's always the answer, and I like that. I think Voldemort is right. That's garbage, Dumbledore. <laughs> Love. <laughs> Love isn't the most powerful magic. It's just, it's like, it's not magic at all. (laughs) You, how are you Voldemort in this situation? (laughs) I'm just saying. Memory. We have gotten way off track here. At the end of this movie, Kubo gives a speech about how memory is the real magic. And I think it's a bit, I mean, want to make a connection. You slightly connected this movie already to the little prince because of the paper craft. I want to make a connection to the little prince when the aviator gives a speech about how we can remember the little prince. And then he's not dead if he's in our hearts. And the, the girl says like, that's, that's garbage. That's garbage. That's not, yeah. That's, that's not, true. not good enough. Mm-hmm. And I think this movie takes a bit the easy way out. Mm. Like it's all good. Cause we remember things. So it doesn't matter that you don't have any parents anymore. Yeah. And like, well, of course it matters. <laughs> of course it matters. Yeah, that's true. So that's a bit of a, that's really what I mean. Mm-hmm. I don't actually think Voldemort is right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm glad. You know that he's also, that Ray Fiennes is the Moon King I and know. Voldemort. I did know that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so that's, the, I'm glad that's you, your connection. I'm glad you said that out loud, though, so that our <laughs> listeners can know. Yeah. All right. Well, um, so is it good? Is it seriously good? <sighs> this is the most complicated movie we've ever had, I think. It is. Because it is... So good. 
But seriously bad. It's very good and seriously terrible. Yep. And like... We've never had a movie that was so good and so bad at the same time. No. And it's especially because, not all, but a lot of what, of the terribleness, of the seriously terribleness is meta. Yeah. Within the movie, there is some badness. Mm-hmm. But within the movie, it would probably, if if it was possible to ignore the real world whitewashing aspect and just look at it as a work of art made by, you know, robots or whatever with no actual humans involved, Mm -hmm. that I would say it was on the good side of medium. Yeah. And it was in terms of uh, seriously, but because real people were involved in making this become seriously terrible. Yep. Just terrible. I've never been so disappointed and mad at a movie. Yeah, exactly. I was really looking forward to doing this one a lot. I really wanted to do it way too seriously about this because I thought it was going to be one of those ones that like we rave about, like we raved about Moana and Little Prince. But then to find out the kind of meta information about it, just put it down so far. Yep. Sad. A little bit sad. Yep. Do better, Leica. Do better. You can do so much better. There's no reason that you sh- this shouldn't have been an amazing movie. Yep. So, all right. <laughs> so, uh, if you want to let us know if you think that we're mi- if you think that we're missing the mark on Kubo and the Two Strings, yep. we'd love to hear your take on it. You can talk to us on Twitter at WTScast. You can send us an email way too seriously cast at gmail.com. You can visit us on Facebook and Reddit, and we'll have links to that in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Um, if you like this podcast, you can let us know by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. We would greatly appreciate that. It will make our day, week, month. Uh, and if you really want to support us even more than that, you can do that at patreon.com slash clockworkscast, and you can support us for a dollar a month, uh, or $3, or $5, or $20, or $100, or $5,000, whatever, <laughs> you know, whatever is you, you think is appropriate. Think about the amount of edutainment we give you every week, and what is that <laughs> worth to you? <laughs> You're going to a scary path there, Paul. <laughs> You know, just if you want to. All right. No pressure. I've been Paul Moffat. I've been Jan Moffat. And what? Strum your own guitar. What? No. Paddle uh, your own guitar. No. Uh, something about folding. I don't know. I fold. I fold. <laughs> <laughs>